2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The state of the markets is more evidence of a resilient economy. Well, this sends rates rising, and stocks are trying to make sense of all of that. We'll debate it with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe over Jenny Harrington, Jim Laventhal, Rob Seachin. Let's check the markets because we are red across the board. There you go. Dow's off the lows. The, most of the major averages are. NASDAQ is weak today, though. Uh, down right now by about, uh, well, just shy of 1%. Feels like to me, Rob, you know, the market is struggling to figure out, like, what retail sales today, what all of it means for Fed policy. You see you know, the March expectations coming down a bit on that strong number. So we're twisted trying to figure out exactly the, what the road ahead is going to look like for Fed policy because we've built in a lot of expectations.
3: No question. I think, I think the way to think about it is let's realize in 23, we came in short, bearish, and expecting the worst. And in 24, we came in long, bullish, and expecting the best. And I think what's happening right now is that markets are pushing back against that narrative, as are we. I think uh, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity this year. We can talk about the playbook in a little bit. But there is a wide range of outcomes that could happen with equities. I mean, you can see a scenario where the Fed engineers a soft landing and we get to the fifty two hundred that Tom Lee's talking about. That's Nirvana has to be near
2: perfection. That's kind of but the top end of your range, too, in the best case scenario for your outlook
3: for this year, right? That is. And, and everything has to go right in that scenario. We suspect, though, that we're going to be challenged throughout the year. I think what we say is we're data dependent. So we're hanging on really every word, every data point, to be able to see opportunities at the lower end of the range. So what we would tell our clients is that we want to be mindful buyers if the market gives us that opportunity to do so. And we want to be pausers, because we're long-term investors. There's no question about it. We're not selling when the market gets to the uh, upper end of the range. We're undulating the accelerator and reacting accordingly. And I think now's the time to pause and see if it's a pause that refreshes. You know, the bond market's sending a lot of various signals, right? The 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 two-year specifically. And is it one of worry? The truth is, we don't don't know that that, See, I
2: like that you bring it up that way. We don't know because, um, you know, does the the strong economy, Jimmy, mean the Fed's gonna cut less? Well, what if you don't believe the economy is as strong as a retail number would lead you to believe? Because some of the other data hasn't been all that strong uh, at all. Then we start to think about, well, what about a policy mistake? Fed stays, stays too tight for too long. It leads you to what Waller said yesterday. And remember, he's sort of emerged as this person within the Fed that, you know, he arguably caused this whole rally from the end of October until the end of the year. And he now seems to have put a little cold water on the rally over the last couple of days and caused this move higher in in interest rates where he says that policy is set properly. Those Those are quotes. Uh, that the Fed should lower rates, quote, methodically and carefully. No reason for the Fed to move rapidly, as rapidly as in as prior easing cycles. It goes to where I started. We're not really sure what's exactly happening and how the Fed's going to going to react to it. I but the market has priced a lot of stuff in.
4: Yeah, and I, I think it's safe to say that we're not sure. I'm not waking up in the middle of the night worrying about the markets right now. I will acknowledge to everyone watching that this is a heavy tape right now. I mean, no question about it. This is a heavy tape. And I think that this is just simply an adjustment to the idea that we're not getting a rate cut in March. And we shouldn't have gotten a rate cut in March, but we're very likely to get one in May. Um, and I think the market just simply got ahead of itself. But I do still commit to my overarching belief that this is a year in which earnings matter far more than the Fed. We're talking about when the Fed's going to cut, not if they're going to cut. We're talking about the Fed cutting, not how high are they going to continue to raise rates. And that's a complete tone change in which news like today about retail sales and industrial production coming in better than expected is good news. It pushes off further the idea that we're going to have a recession or a hard landing. Both of which, or excuse me, they're both the same way of saying that that would impact earnings, which, again, is critical, because if you want the rally to 5,100, Tom's at 5,200, but I'm at 5,100, you have to get that 12% earnings growth this year. Uh, so to the extent you've got retail sales that says consumption strong, employment is strong, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not worried about the market adjusting to the Fed now moving in, in May instead of March.
2: Yeah, but, Jitty, one of the key issues, certainly one of the key questions is, is whether – sentiment and valuation are offsides. On the sentiment issue where, you know, as Rob perfectly laid it out, how we came into last year and now how we've come into this year all bulled up Mm -hmm. on everything, right? Inflation's coming down, earnings are gonna be good, economy's gonna be strong, stock market's gonna be good. Jamie Dimon was a little, maybe he said there was too much optimism in Davos. Let's listen.
4: I think it's a mistake to assume that everything's hunky-dory. And, you know, and when stock markets are up, it's kind of like this little drug we all feel. Like, it's just great, you know. But remember, we've had so much fiscal monetary stimulation. So I'm a little more on the cautious side that we are facing a lot of things in 20, in 024 or 25.
2: Is there too much optimism?
5: Yeah, I think so. And I don't think that it means we're in for a big crash or a huge retraction. So here's kind of the way my math works out on that. When you say, you know, it has that sentiment, has that enthusiasm pushed valuations off sides? So the way I look at it is, if we can get to consensus earnings, which is $247 a share, that's assuming 11% growth over last year. You put a 20 times multiple on that, that gets you to 4,900. You get a, you put a 18 times multiple on that, that gets you to 4,400. So I look at it like a range. If we can have Rob's perfect scenario, right? Everything goes great. I think we get to 4,900. That's up four and change percent from here. If we're kind of in, You know, valuations not being totally offsides, hovering at 18 times. Um, That's down 7% from here. So I think it's offsides, but I think the magnitude this year should be more tame than what we've seen in the past two years. I mean, we're coming off of some crazy emotional swings, right? Thinking about 2022 with the market being down 18, last year with it being up 26. I kind of like where we are right now because we can point to anything we can point to everything anything but i think the reality is is we just need time to digest and i think it's a pretty healthy i would be thrilled if we end this year flat after a plus 26 percent year so i think it's a healthy place to be in where we're not getting crazy with over overly robust expectations
2: what do you think about what what diamond said
6: i think there are always concerns whether it's geopolitical or economic uh, i think in 2024 yes we have concerns, and I think one of those concerns is what you cited before, and that is ultimately what the direction of monetary policy is going to be. Are they going to make a mistake and stay too long? I think that's the risk, that they do stay too long. I also think when you take the totality of the first 17 calendar days of January, what's missing clearly to me is follow through. Follow through from where we were on Wednesday, December 27th, when a 10-year Treasury was 378, and we were talking about a 10-year Treasury falling to 3.50. You never got that follow-through, and Scott, because you didn't get the follow-through, once again, you're seeing that capital is frozen. You've talked to a lot of people in the asset management industry. They will tell you that a lot of the money that was in motion at the end of the year is once again frozen because you're challenged by a 10-year treasury above
2: 10%, and people are still sitting in those cash yielding equivalents. Maybe you're challenged by valuation because you're trying in your own mind to justify the valuation of the market when you look at where we are today versus the 10-year average. The Dow, for example, 17 and a half times today. 16 and a half times is the 10-year, Rob. S&P 500 today, 19 and a half times. 10-year average, 17.8. NASDAQ 100, today's 25. The 10-year historical average is 21.7. So we had the Dean evaluation from NYU, Aswath Damodaran on Closing Bell with me yesterday, and he said, yeah, it's extended. Listen to what he said.
0: I think right now the market is overvalued. I mean, my estimate is about nine, 10%. And part of the reason, I think, is the expectations game has turned against the market. I mean, if you remember at the start of last year, when a recession was almost guaranteed, rates were going to go up, inflation was out of control. And every strategist that you had essentially said was going to be a terrible year for stocks. Turned out to be the exact opposite. Everything turned out to work in the opposite direction. My fear is that we've moved too much in the other direction. Now people assume there's no recession. Inflation is under control and everything's going to be okay. So I think this year, good news is going to require a lot more than it did last year. And that, to me, is why I think stocks are in a dangerous place right now.
2: What do you think?
3: I think he's right, at least in the short run. Because even if you look out two years and you go to 25 and you assume that the earnings deliver and you're at 270, you're still at 17 and a half times. It, it's still a very frothy market from a valuation perspective. And that, that's why earnings is so, so important right now. And if you look at the Magnificent Seven, let's say, and you've seen a dichotomy this year, those that are growing their earnings quite substantially are performing. Those that aren't, the Apples, the, uh, the Teslas, are, are really struggling from a performance standpoint year to date, Microsoft, Google, Meta, Doing great because they they have earnings expectations that are up, and they're expected to deliver. So it is a story of earnings delivery, and we think you want to hug that quality trade. Now, that's a trade that's worked for a year and a half. Well, it's yeah.
2: look, we came into this year thinking that there was going to be a shift from this so-called quality, like mega cap. That's what you're speaking of, uh, obviously. And it was going to be this broadening out rally because we were going to pull it off pull the soft landing off, Fed's going to cut, economy's going to hang in, and maybe no landing at all, and all is going to be right in the world. But Jamie Dimon suggests maybe things are a little bit ahead of themselves. Demotorant says maybe valuation is ahead of itself. That is exactly why there's been a move back to quality. If you look at the performance year-to-date, the Russell's down 6 People came into the the beginning of the, the year Russell's saying cheaper. that the Russell's the place to be. And I'm we're going to have a rotation. There, well, but the it's Russell cheaper. the Russells underperformed everything by leaps and bounds to start this year.
4: Which is just a risk off as the market adjusts to rates. Frankly, in my opinion, it's a but but let me move let me, to quality. But let me well, okay. But if we're going to talk about valuation, we're not going to cite the small cap sector as an overvalued sector. We are going to cite the FANGMA, you know, which is taken as quality as overpriced, and not all of it. I'm not going to say Nvidia 26 times. It- forward earnings is overpriced, not with 50% earnings growth. I might say that Microsoft for the growth rate uh, expected at 32 times is is overpriced. But here's the point. To the dean of valuation's point, yes, most of FANGMA is overpriced. That's not the whole market. When you strip those names out, you get to 17 times. 17 times is not expensive. And some people are going to say, well, it's a higher interest rate environment than it was two years ago. So what? The 10-year averaged 5.5% in the 90s, and you had low 20s multiple for most of the last half of the 90s. They're so cheap for a reason.
2: 17- they're cheap for a reason.
4: Which is cheap for a reason?
2: The ones that you cite are the valuation is is cheap, small caps and these other areas of the market. Well, yeah, talking yeah, about, but, I'm talking yeah, of about course, the other Of course they're, of course they're, the of course they're much, much, cheaper. But
5: can I say something on that? Is J.P.
2: Morgan that? cheap at 10 times? J.P. Morgan's had a huge run so that's why you even question that here's the thing.
5: here's the thing. They're cheap. Sorry. I'm so excited about this topic. Obviously. <laughs> they're cheap compared to the S&P. They always have been. They always will be. What matters is that they're cheap compared to their historical levels. So you take mid cap 15.2 times, small cap 15.4, and then MSCI ACWI. Those are all about three points lower than their historical averages. They always trade cheap to the, to the S&P. But where they are now, they're not cheap. They're always cheap for a reason, but right now they're stupidly cheap. How did, do, so how did I don't we think flip
4: the conversation? The, the, we were talking about expensive. What they are
2: is not expensive. You cannot say that small caps are expensive. But here's what's, hap- here's what's happened though. The burst of activity at the end of last year threw everything off because the stocks ran up so much. It was rates driven though, it, it was rates driven. It, was, rates driven. it, it was,
3: was 100% rates driven. Right. And so you have this dichotomy between cheap for a reason and quality names that are cheap. Because you can look at international indices, small cap indices, and you will find value in there where there is earnings to support those names. And then you'll look at others that have rallied dramatically all on the back of expectations of very large rate cuts that are not materializing that the market is pushing back see, against now. Jim is now, making
2: Jim is trying to make the I don't argument I think he's making. No, a market he's trying call. to make he's trying to make the argument that earnings are going to be supportive of those 493 Selectively, though, right, other Jim. names. That Select- is your whole is, argument is based is, on that. That is that is
4: the central thesis of my yes, argument. Yes, and, and the reason
2: why there's that. been a reversion back towards mega cap to start this year is because that seems to be thrown in question now about some of the data has been squirrely, the Fed direction is not so clear, certainly like people thought it was when the calendar made the turn, so you go right back to what you believe in. Scott. Balance sheets, cash, mega cap.
4: Scott, I, I- I wouldn't disagree, but let me add to you, add to what you just said as far as reasons why the market is definitely heavy, as I said, uh, in the first three weeks. There's a lot going on. There is questions about earnings. There's always questions about earnings projections, folks. Always, okay? But if you look at GDP growth, where it is around 2.2%, margins improving. I've said this for a long time. You look at the PPI so far below CPI, that equates to margin improvements. It is likely to get that earnings growth. What we're not talking about is all the other stuff. And there's a lot of it. Okay, the Middle East is this close this close to blowing up. One stupid thing on the northern border of, of Israel and that's partly what the market's worried about. It's also worried about politics here in the U.S. and elections across the globe. My point on this is not to say that there hasn't been a rotation of quality. There has been. My point is to say that outside of that quality if we're talking about valuation in the markets and being overvalued, it's in those bangma slash quality names. It is not in the small caps at 15 times this year's earnings. Yeah.
6: Yeah, I, I think we're, we're kind of all over the place. I agree with Jimmy when you're talking about valuation. Small caps are are not overvalued, but but your point is 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 well taken, and your point is at the end of the year you saw capital going into the neglected areas of the market, and it's because of what I identified at the top of the show and what Rob just also mentioned. And it's because rates looked like they were gonna move significantly lower, and they have not. And there's an effect of rates moving higher on the balance sheets of companies that are not as profitable as the mega caps. So really what has not unfolded so far this year, as rates have risen, is that people have begun to shed their exposure to these quality names and move into the areas of the market that were neglected last year and are reliant are reliant on what the cost of capital is. And that process isn't going to unfold unless you see yields begin to retreat. If yields stay elevated, this is the formation we're gonna have, and I think you're gonna have this formation
2: I don't, through the first quarter. I don't think Jimmy's argument that the other, all these other stocks are cheap, or undervalued is, is the argument. There is no argument to that. Yes, they are cheaper, okay? I, They're cheaper, there's a lack of confidence to, to buy those names. It has nothing to do the with the valuation weeks, yes. of those stocks. For the it has weeks, everything right. to do with the confidence on the direction of where we're going and what the Fed's going to do, period, end of story. The Can other f- I
4: ask Joe a question that the other 493. ties into this? Let me just do, let me do this to you. What happens, if the yield curve uninverts, what happens to the market?
6: The yield curve looked like it was
4: going to uninvert. Yeah, now it's Looks re-inverting. Like, right? yeah.
6: Yesterday, now we it's re-inverting. were sitting on the By ship. what,
4: 25 basis so, points. So, I mean, we were talking 125 so. basis points 6 months ago. Okay. My point being is that's an indication of economic strength.
6: Okay. Yesterday, the yield curve 2 to 10 was negative 15 basis points. Okay, we were coming very close to getting back to disinverting. Today, We're seeing a dramatic move in the two year. Now the disinversion is lost, it's inverting, it's deepening, it's minus 25 basis points. So I think, well, but Jimmy, (laughs) I think the right word to use, okay, is tell me if the seven stocks, forget the other 493, because in the other 493, you could find opportunities. I completely agree with you, okay? JP Morgan being one of them, we know the list. But what you you have to acknowledge is those seven stocks are incredibly attractive in the type of environment that we are in right now. All seven, Joe? And profitability. All seven? Take out Tesla. (laughs) Profitability. (laughs) Profitability is being prioritized. What your margins are. You're seeing when companies are missing, like Morgan Stanley yesterday. It was a margin miss. When you're missing on the margin, the market is punishing you for that miss. And I think that's incredibly important. We're back to a place where the fundamental metrics are gonna matter. And you can't tell me that you're gonna find better fundamental metrics than you could find with Microsoft, Alphabet, Apple, and Amazon. Let's
2: talk some others in quotes, interactive brokers. Since we're talking about earnings and we're talking about others and we're talking about financials, Mm -hmm. let's talk about interactive brokers because shares were down about 4% and then they turned around and went positive. Earnings missed, revs beat. What's up?
6: They sure were. Uh, Net interest income, clearly in 2024, if rates are going to move lower, net interest income is going to come under pressure. They did an excellent job on the call, CEO Thomas Petterfee, of explaining that they had strong confidence that in fact they'd be able to overcome net interest, and net interest income on the decline. I spoke about margins, pre-tax margins for interactive brokers, 72%. Is that knowing how to manage the business? That's a f- fantastic job. Futures and options trading, increased significantly. That indicates risk management is clearly being embedded on the part of institutional and retail investors. Um, the stock reversed quickly. I think it's approaching $90 once again. And I think this stock ultimately will see $100 because they are perfecting
2: in a capital market environment where you're seeing increased activity. Jenny Schwab, uh, shares were down a lot. Now, let's take a look at a real-time look at Schwab because they've seem to have paired some of the losses so they have in fact done that as we've worked to to noon here in the east. What's your take here?
5: So they reported earnings and like top line EPS came in 6% ahead. But once you took out taxes, you realize it was down by 3%. And I think that kind of jarred, I don't know, the algorithmic trading programs, because again, no one with a brain would have read these earnings and said, boy, the stock should be down 7 or 8%. So then people actually started listening, thinking about what was going on. And what they saw was that total client assets are up 21% year over year. There's a lot of noise in here. There's still the TD acquisition sorting through. They're, they're seeing the end of cash sorting. But once you step back, Here's what you have. You have a company that's trading at 17 times earnings and you've got earnings growth of 17%, 28%, 19% expected for the next three years. So when we talk about you know the MAG-7, the top 10, I like that setup of valuation plus that level of earnings growth better than anything in the top 10. And I think these are the kind of things that ultimately drive the, drive the 493 this year. All
2: right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we have portfolio plays to discuss. JetBlue, Disney, Alibaba are all on the move today. We all have uh, ownership in them as well. We'll get those trades
7: next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.
6: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most
2: important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. All right, we're back. We're going to go through some committee stocks that are on the move here, and there's news around uh, JetBlue and Spirit, as you know. You own JetBlue. Yes. So no dice uh, on this deal, and JetBlue's been down a bunch. So what, what do we do here? Let's look at that. It's down almost yeah.
5: 10%. I'm really surprised by that, to be honest. If we think back, we bought this before the Spirit deal was announced, and so this stock got hammered on the Spirit deal. Spirit deal ends, stock was up 5% yesterday, now it's down 9% today. You'd think think if investors hated the spirit deal and drove the share price down, they'd love that it was over. Maybe they're coming
2: to like they're trying to ask themselves the question, okay, if 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 the company needed to do a strategic of of that magnitude and now it's off, it's kind of like, okay, now what?
5: And the question was, did they need to or did they want to? So when we bought it, our, our thesis was that they would get back to $2 of earnings. At this point we think they can get back to $1 of earnings. If it can get back to $1 of earnings, it's trading at $5 a share. But this is where, when you're down this much on an investment, like you really question yourself and go back and kind of start from ground zero. Wait,
2: hold on. You, you just yeah. took your own earnings expectation in half. Oh,
5: we did that like a year ago. But you
2: took it in half. Yes. So how can you have the same view of this company and the stock? We don't.
5: We don't. And so when we bought it initially, it was like $14 a share. That's when we thought it was going to get to $2 a share of earnings, put it 10 times multiple on it, thought it would get to 20. Spirit deals announced, everything goes haywire, economy is distorted. And that that $2 of earnings also is presuming that everything would go back to like really a normal pre-pandemic setup. Mm. So everything's changed. And I think, I think you bring up a really good point, which Highlights the challenge of how hard it's been to do valuation modeling work over the past four years.
2: Wait, you you bought this at $14 a share?
5: Yes. Throw it back up, guys, please. Way back, no, this is like a huge miss for us. Why are you still holding it? Because every time along the way that we've looked at it, we said, would you buy it here today? Yes. Do I think they can get to a dollar of earnings? Yes. If it's trading at $9 a share, that's nine times. Yes, I think we could still hold it. So we've adjusted and adjusted, but each time we've adjusted, our math has been wrong, our expectations have been wrong, you get some wrong, right? We've used it as a, as a capital loss harvest and then bought it back, but we've just been wrong on it. And so you really, you really start to say, "Are is your investment thesis on this sound?" I'm not sure. You know, are we the, are we the crazy ones, or is everyone else the crazy ones? Um, but this is one inflection point.
2: Some where, point, the writings on the chart about where this thing is, right, okay, So You're gonna this Hold on,
5: but wait, I want to say Can I ask you a question. Yeah,
6: you sound like, and and, and I appreciate how you're you're describing your positioning um you sound as though you're a little bit stuck in the position would you guide the viewers to buy the stock here?
5: Not today because I'm a little bit wishy-washy <laughs> on, af- like, I'm very surprised by this move here. And it unnerves me in a way that maybe that really makes me question my investment thesis. But if we go back to things like Intel, where we've stuck it out and said, okay, you know, it moved from 50 down to 26. And we're going back yeah, and we Yeah, but we're I can tell you
6: don't think this is Intel. I,
5: I don't think it is. Right. I'm not sure. But it's like, you do that along the way, you know, and you reassess what you think the earnings are and say, am I right? You know, or am I the crazy one or is everyone else the crazy one? This one, it's starting to feel more like, you know, like it's not going to get to that dollar that we need. I mean, but if it does, it's trading at five times earnings. That's pretty cheap. It's a tricky one. It's really hard.
2: Let's go to another one um, that's gotten smoked. Alibaba. So Mizuho cuts the price target to 100 from 120. New 52 week low today. You own it and you initiated it in, in August. So not that long ago. And there's been obviously questions about any sort of China-related stocks yeah. for a variety of reasons: regulatory weakness in the economy, and Debt, et cetera. Deflation,
3: demographic headwinds. All right. The fact so that, why you own it? So you know when you when you look at China, it's the ultimate kind of contrarian play. We don't we don't love China, but Bob is an unappreciated quality grower at a, at a reasonable price. There's there's a turnaround story here given the state of chinese consumers seventy percent uh there's a very high ownership home ownership rate in china and when home prices fall you know they, they they tend to spend less but this is a company that is beginning to reaccelerate. they have a dominant e-commerce market share um unappreciated cloud business and mid-teens free cash flow and it trades at seven times um listen it's something that's going to require a catalyst to turn around, but sentiment around everything related to China. And I think you want to zig on sentiment when everybody else is zagging. And this is a place where we think it rhymes with our meta call
2: at the end of last year. Some, sometimes the zaggers are right. We're zagging. <laughs> <laughs> no, you said you're zigging. We're, zigging. <laughs> We're zigging. zigging. We're going to see if the zig works. Right now, the Zags have the upper hand. <laughs> Morgan Stanley, okay, downgraded over uh, at J.P. Morgan. Target cut to 87. You wanted to do this, you just I do. Yeah, for the viewers. Go ahead.
6: On the next episode of Go Training ahead. Therapy with the Go judge, ahead. Let's talk about Morgan Stanley <laughs> because I have to tell you. Morgan Stanley is a name that I owned for the better part of six years. You could say I was passively invested in Morgan Stanley. I saw the business from the outside. I interacted with them. I was really encouraged with what they did. Back in October, the momentum clearly broke down in this name, and I reacted to that and got out of the stock. Momentum presented itself once again. Momentum, nothing else. It presented itself once again in the fourth quarter, and I went back into the name. And I have to tell you, after this earnings report, I'm disappointed in myself that I did that because I really believe that probably was the wrong reaction to have. It was emotional in its nature. It was nothing more than a response to price. I should have just liquidated and sat on the sidelines. And I've also entered gold. Entered Goldman Sachs. I'm happy to be in Goldman Sachs. But Morgan Stanley's results this week are disappointing. That margin is not where it needs to be. I feel better.
2: Okay. I'm glad you got it all out. Thank you. You I'm glad you feel better. That was good. Therapeutic. Yes. Um, Okay. Now, last one to you, Jenny, because UBS is bearish on retail. One of the stocks which they don't like is one that you own. It's Kohl's, which they continue to rate a sell. So, Why do you continue to rate it a hold?
5: um, I thought you were going to Disney what a relief where do i go um we go here so in no small part i continue to hold coals because i think that each retailer is created quite differently and this is just like you look at their numbers you look at their earnings you look at the dividend you look at the dividend coverage it's almost eight percent yield they're super committed to it and they kind of just crank along the thing that worries me on coals more than any consumer weakness is actually um this biden administration thing where they're going to cut where they're going to like put a cap on late fees because Kohl's actually makes a lot of money on late fees. So I think that's the bigger risk to the stock, and that's what I'm watching really carefully. Things down is like
2: 14% year to date.
5: Oh, yeah, but it also had a huge, this goes to the beginning of the show, it had a huge, huge run into year end. So it's just, you know, big moves. Um, overall, it's a well-managed company. The cash flows are consistent. If you believe that the consumer holds up, like they're going to continue to spend here, I actually look at it as a little bit under the radar. I think I think the late fee thing is the bigger risk, All right, and we're keeping an eye
8: on it.
2: Let's get the headlines now with Pippa Stevens. Hi, Pippa.
8: Hey, Scott. A Marine veteran who put a black subway rider in a fatal chokehold last year in New York City will face trial. A judge in New York today declined to dismiss the case. Daniel Penny, who is white, said he was protecting other passengers from Jordan Neely's aggressive behavior. He pleaded not guilty in June to second-degree manslaughter and negligent homicide. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is reportedly stranded in Davos after his Boeing 737 plane broke down due to an oxygen leak that couldn't be repaired. According to a Bloomberg report, a smaller jet was being flown from Brussels, to fly Blinken back to D.C. after attending the World Economic Forum, and a tragedy in Thailand as a fireworks factory near Bangkok exploded today, killing about 20 people. Authorities inspected the site but did not find any survivors yet. The cause of the explosion is still under investigation. Scott, back to you.
2: Pippa, appreciate that. Thank you, Pippa Stevens. Up next, checking in on the crypto craze, most of the new spot, Bitcoin ETF. ETFs are trading lower, and we're going to find out what's driving that action in today's ETF Edge. Bob Zani has it next.
7: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. That is LinkedIn.com slash halftime report for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to LinkedIn.com slash halftime report and get started.
2: Papazzani has today's ETF Edge, and we're talking some of those crypto ETFs. We are indeed, Scotty. Bitcoin ETFs launched last week with big volume. So
0: how are they trading now? And what's next? Let's ask Catherine Clay. She's the executive vice president, global head of derivatives at SIBO Global Markets. Catherine, thanks for joining us. SIBO launched six spot Bitcoin ETF products last week. Tell us, how are the products trading relative to Bitcoin? Are they tracking?
9: Yeah, the products came out with a bang, obviously. We saw good inflows into all six ETFs that are listed on the SIBO markets. And they continue to track closely with Bitcoin as expected. Uh, But the good news is, is that we're actually here, Bob, talking about the price movement of Bitcoin spot ETFs, which is long and coming, obviously. So celebrating the fact that we get to have this conversation.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, ten years actually. Uh, so it seems like the next logical yeah. step is options on spit, uh, spot Bitcoin ETFs. What can you tell us about that process? How far along is SIBO with all of that?
9: We couldn't agree more that options are the next logical step on these ETFs. We really believe in an asset like crypto and Bitcoin in particular that options add exactly that utility that are really important for risk mitigation and additional opportunities for investors and traders to add to their portfolio. We filed with the SEC uh, for permission to list options on Bitcoin ETFs last week. And so we're really in this holding pattern of waiting to see what the regulators will do with our filing and other exchanges' filings as well.
0: I know this is a new product, but how long would you anticipate it would take? Normally, it would be a couple months for a typical product, but I know that it's a new product. Will will we see something before the end of the year?
9: It's really difficult to to know even if we will see approval. So I wanna stress that approval is not guaranteed, and certainly visibility into the timeline is difficult. I think for viewers, it's important to point out why these ETFs are a bit more nuanced than a traditional uh, filing for options on an ETF. And that really comes to the fact that this ETF is based on spot Bitcoin. And so these are different than the historical ETFs we might list on other securities. And so there's more complexity in our rules around these types of filings. It also requires our Options Clearing Corporation to do similar filings with the SEC and the CFTC.
0: You know, I can't help but notice uh, that Bitcoin's two-year peak in price occurred the day the ETFs went public last Thursday. So there's this inclusion effect. We had a nice run-up in Bitcoin going into it, and it's been down since then. Any thoughts on that?
9: Well, as a a trader myself, I remember the old adage, you know, buy the rumor, sell the news. I think there was a lot of anticipation running into this announcement with the approved uh, Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, There's no explaining day-to-day price movements of any security, let alone this one. I think right now we're in a little bit of a risk-off pattern if you look across the markets today. So it's hard to speculate on just day-to-day price movements.
0: OK, thank you, Catherine. We're going to have a lot more on the next steps for Bitcoin ETFs coming up on ETF Edge. That's 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. Catherine's going to be joined by Dave Noddick. She's, he is the financial futurist at Vetify. Then we switch gears and talk to climate change. We talk about energy transformation and infrastructure. Jennifer Grancho will be joining us. She's head of global wealth for TCW. They, were recently, bought, uh, they recently bought Engine Number no. 1. That was the company. Remember, they became famous for winning three seats on the board of Exxon. With a demand to take climate change more seriously, we'll get an update on their Transform Systems ETFs focused on energy transformation and infrastructure and what the website described as brown to green companies. All that coming up, ETFedge.cnbc.com.
2: Scott, back to you. Hi, Bob. Appreciate the update there. Thank you, Bob Pizzani. Coming up, more contrarian ideas for 2024. Rob Siegian gives his today. An unloved sector, he says, has some serious opportunities in this new year. He'll make the case next. We're back. We continue our series of contrarian ideas for the new year. Uh, Rob Seachin, of course, is here today, hasn't given his yet. So, what do you think? Uh, Biotech, IBB,
3: uh, if you want the ETF. Um, why, why is it hated? Uh, it's relative performance. I mean, yeah, it's, it's been, been an absolute, <laughs> It's been an absolute stinker. Underperforming the S&P by 20% last year, which is the largest since the 90s, mm. and by 40% uh, since 2020. And this is despite what's happening in the healthcare space. So why do we like it? Um, Reasonable valuations, returns to earnings growth, low expectations, slightly improving sentiment. You've had some people talk about it on the show this yeah, year yeah, and we all, have, all, yep. all across the Bunch network. Bunch of deals
2: in the space, yeah, all the that. M&A,
3: M&A's, yeah, the M&A, m and another one. And you know, when we look at this, we mainly own it through, through securities in our, in our portfolios. Amgen, Gilead, Vertex, we, Regeneron, all, those are the, All of right? the above. You have incredible visibility into what we're doing there. There's well, not. I mean, but, we, we
2: but, sort of demand transparency on this program <laughs> in case you haven't noticed that up until this I, I, I point. I do
3: notice. But if I, was, if I was somebody that wanted to put it on easily, the, those names represent 30% of that ETF. Yep. I just use that ETF as a way to get that exposure, and then you can rent it. You don't have to own it long term in case the thesis doesn't
4: play out. Got some owners.
2: I got some owners. I'm sorry. Right, Jimmy, you, you have Vertex
4: thing's been a beauty. I mean, just a great story of a company that had a you know, one-trick pony in its cystic fibrosis business but now has managed to really expand into things like sickle cell anemia uh, and pain medication. That's a, I mean, that's just a great specific story. I haven't agree with you on the overall call, but I do find it better to actually pick stocks than go with the index. No, and that's what the we've index. done, but I'm
3: talking about for okay. the viewers that want to The, know, the problem a with the
4: index and the, and the industry in general is there's a lot of rolls of the dice in here, right? There's a lot of companies that are, are waiting for a drug to be approved. They're waiting for trials to come through, and it's totally digital. They either hit it or they don't, and that's always left me a little scary, so that's why I like to pick stocks in that that sector. uh,
2: of course. I mean, biotechs are always a bit speculative. I mean, that's sort of you know what you're getting into when you get into it. Um, Regeneron's yours?
5: Right, and so that's been a home run for us. It's actually to the point where it's been such a home run that we're thinking about, you know, at 20 times earnings and a 4% free cash flow yield, does it still make sense? Does it still have the earnings growth ahead? But I think I think the more important point is what Jim said, which is within the biotech, which I think it kind of, again, it goes back to small cap, mid cap, whatever it is, just go in, dig down, do the work and choose. Like each of these areas have really great opportunities. That's
3: going to lead you to, to the more mega uh, biotech names, though, right? I mean, that's that's where yeah. we're all going to be because of the quality yeah. associated but with those. But my point
5: is, like, there's pockets out there where there's opportunity available, and, like, biotech is rich with opportunity because the entire thing's been thrown out. So sort through, and you're going to find gems out there. So, yeah, Regeneron's been fantastic. We, okay. we
6: also own Regeneron. Yeah. We own Vertex. And then keep in mind, Eli Lilly is trading like a biotech. One point on biotechs overall, let's remember, as rates rise, it's a little bit of a challenging environment for them.
2: All right, coming up, we are going to trade more stocks on the move today. have got two big winners, two big losers in today's trade. But first, Mike Santoli, his midday word is next. All right, back on the half. Uh, there is senior uh, markets commentator Mike Santoli with his midday word. Uh, this, this really does feel like the market's not really sure now what to make of that retail sales and yields going back up. You put Waller into the stew and I'm not sure what you put in the bowl.
1: Well, I think, Scott, first of all, the backdrop is we're three weeks into this kind of internal pullback, payback mode we've we've been in for a bit. And it's really evident in the breadth numbers. Very weak again today. So you're seeing some of the kind of reset happening below the surface of the indexes. And yes, because the two-month rally got everybody exceedingly confident about both legs of the soft landing hypothesis, the lower inflation, immaculate disinflation, plus resilient economy, you're getting tested I think, to some degree, on both sides of that. I happen to think a better economy with maybe delayed rate uh, cuts or fewer rate cuts is the preferable path. But at the moment, you have to kind of sort through uh, the the idea that neither one gets satisfaction for a little while. Uh, I was sort of sympathetic last week. HSBC came out downgrading to kind of a, a neutral or, or underweight in risk assets temporarily saying there's a reverse Goldilocks period we might be entering. I don't know if that's what we're in or not, or we just have to have a routine pullback. Uh, but it seems like the market's a little bit unsettled. Uh, VIX at 15. You're starting to see uh, just some signs out there that because of this expiration week, mechanically, we're a little bit fragile, but so far, not a lot of damage at the index level.
2: Yeah, no, NASDAQ's down about 1% right now. And as far as you know, the everything else idea of the market there's just a bit of a lack of confidence you can feel it that yeah. uh, you know the buyers are going to come in right now for those other names
1: people wanted it too bad they took credit for it they applauded yeah. it we had it was a two-month respite we'll see if that was all it was yeah we'll do i'll see you
2: in a couple hours on closing bell it's mike santoli coming up two big winners two big losers trade them next Welcome back. Joe, we want to talk about Monster Beverage for a minute because it was reiterated a buy at Goldman Sachs today. Price target 68 from 62. You own it. We just didn't get to it earlier, so let's do it now.
6: Absolutely agree with the call. This is a consumer staple company that grows its revenue 15% 15% over the last three years. Think about it, a consumer staple be- company with the ability to do that. Uh, recently, it's pulled back slightly. I still think this is going to get above $60. Uh, Monster Beverage is clearly in the sweet spot with their business, and they've diversified their products tremendously over the last several years.
2: Okay, so let's highlight two big winners today, two big losers that we didn't get to. Humana's up today was up three percent. We can take a look and see where it is now. DraftKings uh, was up as well on reports. The NBA is in talks to take a stake in ESPN, possibly other betting platforms as well. And then on the loser side, Jenny, you're, one of your stocks is on this list. XPO is down five and a half percent, or at least it was earlier. What's up?
5: Well, I think I would take that loser and turn it into a winner. It's actually up 120 percent in the last 52 weeks. So what's happening right here is we see things like J.B. Hunt getting ready to report, and there's concern out there that shipping may be weak. Um, but. When you look at XPO versus say Old Dominion, you've got XPO still trading at 10 times EBITDA where Old Dominion trades at 18 times. So you've got a stock that's up 120% over the last 52 weeks. Mm-hmm. Little bit of concern coming in there which gives us a little bit of pause. But then you step back and you say, okay, but the valuation is still really, really compelling. Earnings growth should still grow 24% next year. So we're holding on to it. This 5% after a year like that, I'm completely on phase. To me, it's not, even, it's not even on the radar.
2: Okay. Uh, Jimmy, Wynn Resorts today was down more than 3%. Yeah, it's
4: still being held hostage by any news out of China, uh, as that may affect their Macau gross gaming revenue. Having said that, for all the worries about China's growth over the last year, year and a half, Macau gross gaming revenue has grown by leaps and bounds. So I think the market is really getting that wrong. Additionally, this should be as much a Las Vegas play as a Macau play. Bottom line is this, it's undervalued. They're likely to report earnings and more share buybacks in a month. So just
2: hang on to it. No one else owns any other casino names, right? You look at any of these things? Casinos? Yeah. No, no I, I casinos is not something that I invest in. Dinosaurs in the desert, is that what, what people call them? Yes, I've correctly called them that. You have? Yes, I have. That's what I thought it was you. All right, Jimmy. <laughs> I, you were so apoplectic. Casinos? What's this stock, <laughs> what did it do last year?
4: Uh, I, not good, not well. Uh, Why? Why? Um, uh, all China concerns, all entirely China concerns. And I'm going to make this point again. We know what happened in China. That's not what happened in Macau. Look, you can look up gross gaming revenues in Macau, and you can see that month after month, they are increasing and increasing nicely.
2: Cash flows are going to be great at when they're going to buy back shares. The what? stock looks like, it's look, looks like it's been decreasing and decreasing. Yeah.
4: Well, what the, it's actually flat. it's yeah, kind of Jimmy's way. From October. Way of, it's kind of flat. Okay. You know, that was Jimmy's
6: way of saying I was right in our argument a couple of years ago. You know, listen,
4: <laughs> listen, I've held this for about, two, about 26 months months. It's outperformed the S&P 500. That being said, last year was not good. was
2: not good. Kind of flat. What do you mean, Jenny? It didn't do anything until December.
5: Okay, but I'm just saying over the last 52 weeks, it's only down by, 7%. By, by, it's kind of flat. By the way, it was up about
2: 15% from mid-December
4: till about two weeks ago, a week ago. Um, it's just, it gets knocked down and it doesn't have
2: to be on right. these stupid China news. All right, we'll do finals next. Of course, I'll see you in a couple hours of Closing Bell, but I want to remind you as well, On Friday, we're going to be out in the Coachella Valley for the American Express PGA Tour event. It's the old Bob Hope. We're going to have interviews with several CEOs and special guests. I hope you will join me. Our coverage begins at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Steve Squarey, he's the MX CEO. We have an exclusive with him. Ed Bastian is going to be with us out there, among other notable names, too. So we'll see you throughout the day from PGA West on Friday. Can't wait for that. Let's do finals. Rob Seachin.
3: Gilead, inexpensive way
4: to get your biotech exposure. Farmer Jim. Abv. a lot of people, including me, talking about health care. Uh, this is a good one in that space.
2: Jenny.
5: Verizon, 7% yield, 8 times earnings.
2: Joey T. Arch Capital, buy the bounce. All righty. That does it for us. I'll see you on the closing bell, 3 o'clock Eastern time. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.